The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Well, good morning. Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. What's been your most recent challenge? You had an event here recently that maybe has felt like a giant in your life, overwhelmed you, maybe brought you to the point where you wanted to give up and quit. You know, sometimes we have days that, you know, are just plain tough. We have weeks that are difficult. We have seasons or special situations that just are, are overwhelming. Maybe you're going through a time like that. And then on top of it all, Phil the Groundhog comes out this morning and tells us we've got six more weeks of winter. I was reflecting on some of the giants, I guess, in physical size that I played against as an athlete in college. My freshman year of college basketball, very first game of the season, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I mean, I was like, hey, I'm, I, I'm playing, I'm, I'm actually going to start. The very first trip down the court, the very first shot that was taken, I'm going against a guy, he's an older player, he's more experienced, and he's stronger than I am. That ball hits the rim and bounces straight up. It's just a little bit off to my left, and this guy is right next to me. He gets two hands on that ball, and when he does, he grasps it, he brings it down to his chin, and that right elbow came right across my nose. My eyes started to water, my nose was stinging, my head was ringing. My thought was, welcome to college basketball, this is going to be difficult. In my sophomore year in football, we were playing a team in Milwaukee and we came out for pre-game warm-ups, each team in their end zone doing their thing. When you look down at this team at the other end, there was a guy on that team who, like King Saul, was head and shoulders above everyone else on his team. When a preacher preaches about Goliath, this is the guy I visually picture every time that name Goliath comes up. This guy was huge. Now I realize in shoulder pads and helmets, you tend to look a little bit larger But this guy was just dominating. And what made him so intimidating was he constantly chattered. Just constant talk. You could hear him on the other end of the field in pregame warm-ups, just yakking it up. This big old defensive lineman, he'd get down in his three-point stance. He's ready to charge at our offense. And he's just talking, sometimes even louder than our quarterback trying to give, give signals to snap the ball. There were a few times that I had to block that guy. And listen carefully, there were a few times he overwhelmed me. He destroyed me. One final illustration comes from my junior and senior year. We had a team in our conference, Milwaukee School of Engineering. And they had a center that was a big guy. Not much taller than I, 6'8", but his hands were massive. He made a ball look so small in his hands. 
And because it was a conference opponent, we went against each other two times a year. So there was four of these battles. Neither one of us were outside shooters. We played with our backs to the basket back in those days. And so it was just this constant battle. If I was coming down on defense and he was on offense, or he was coming at me and I was on defense, man, it was a clash. And for 40 minutes, it was tough. It was hard. Some of you haven't experienced that sort of thing maybe in a team setting, but you're a runner. And you've chosen to run a half marathon or a marathon, and you understand the challenge of those later miles when the body is hurting. Or the elements of the weather, the heat, the humidity, the rain is, is playing with you. The terrain of those later miles, having to go up a hill is just completely exhausting. It's tough. It's difficult. At times, overwhelming. Others of you have done other things. A climb, a hike, a competition, some sort of race where you've had to deal with pain or other conditions, other adversities. What's been your response in each situation, we desire to have resilience. We desire to persevere. We desire to endure. But there are times when we just want to give up, give in, go home. Resiliency. The ability to have a constructive and a productive response to a crisis or setback. When challenges in our life come, how do we respond for each one of us today, we'll have various events in our life, some difficult, some challenging. We're going to go through this week. Some of you are going through something overwhelming right now. That event will eventually have an outcome, but what's in the middle often dictates what the outcome's going to be, and that's our response. Do we persevere? Do we endure? Do we have that resilience? Oh, sometimes in the grand scheme of things, these events are but minor, similar to my athletic contests as a college player. It just demanded a certain level of toughness, a certain tenacity. Yet I know there's crises going on that are much deeper, much more heavy than an athletic contest or a, or, or a race or a marathon that we might run. For sometimes those crises break us down, beat us down. We want to just crack under the pressure. What is our response? Do we entertain giving up? Or do we have that resilient spirit in us? How should we go on? Let's think this morning, first of all, about the Christian's challenge. I ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, this classic passage, giving us great instruction to believers when we face a challenge. Notice verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. The previous verses, chapter 11, give those individuals a list of those 16 plus individuals who gave faithful service to God. And in many times, many instances, many illustrations of their life, they had to display a certain perseverance, a certain endurance, a certain resiliency. 
Each honored God by living a life of faith. Think for a moment the patience that Abraham and Sarah had to have as they waited for God to fulfill a promise to them and give them a son. There were some days where they needed some resiliency. There were some weeks where they felt overwhelmed as they went through that crisis. Think about those in Hebrews 11 that needed courage for different situations of life. Think about Noah living in that ungodly world, yet he was told to live godly, to preach righteousness, and beyond that, build an ark. And that went on for years. Think about Gideon with his little army of 300 taking on the mighty Midianites, the courage that he had to have. Still others had a display of trust. I think about Joseph, the trust he had to have as he, as he was in that far, far away land of PCC, I mean Egypt. And the challenges that he was faced with, the endurance that he had to have, the resiliency that he had to have. Proverbs 24 verse 10 says, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. When we faint in those times that are tough, our faith too can quickly fade if we're not careful. And in our passage, the writer of Hebrews describes what we believe is maybe an athlete. Maybe his thought process is about an athlete in a race. He says, let us run with patience the race that's set before us. I don't think he's speaking about a sprint, a 100-meter sprint. I don't think he's even thinking about a track and running the various races around a track, a 400-meter, an 800, a 1600. I think he's thinking marathon. I think he's thinking some cross-country type of race. He describes these cloud of witnesses, those who would testify. If you had opportunity to visit with them, they might say, hey, you know what? I went through a day just like you are. I can testify to the same situation, the same struggle, the same difficulty, the same tough time. I think he's describing those cloud of witnesses, those who could agree with, hey, I went through a similar situation just like you're facing today, just like you're going through this week. And the reminders come forward from these verses. It's a, it's a race that we must run. It requires some preparation. For those of you who have run these lengthy types of races, these marathons, you understand full well that there must be preparation before, prior to race day. You cannot idly sit by and wait for race day to come without putting forward any kind of consistent training. You must ready the body for the rigors to come. You must focus on your nutrition. You must get restful sleep. You must build the right mental preparation. The writer goes on, besides this preparation, he says, lay aside the weights. The word there is a picture of something bulky, something with mass, something that if carried or borne in this race will hinder your performance. My three boys chose to run cross-country when they were in high school. Now, it probably wasn't the smartest idea. They don't have runner's bodies. They have, runner, uh, they have a body like I. But they decided they were going to go off for cross-country, probably for the wrong reason. I'm going to get in shape for basketball. One of them was getting ready for his first day of cross-country, and he was packing his gym bag, and I said, what are you going to wear for shoes today? Ah, Dad, I'm just going to wear my old basketball shoes. 
Our middle son, Matt, this past December, ran his first marathon in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. He was not wearing his basketball shoes. For he chose the lightest possible shoes he could purchase for his 6'5 frame. Why? Because he didn't want any extra grams, even ounces of weight. For he understood in those shoes, he was going to be swinging that leg thousands of times over the course of those 26 miles. And any little bit of extra weight was going to slow him down, was going to inhibit his ability to finish that race, something for which he wanted to do. Even as he got to that 18-mile mark, a point at which he had never trained beyond in a training session, he now has to deal with those latter miles. And as he comes up to his wife and his granddaughters who were there along the course cheering him, he lifted his shirt, he pulled off the little pouch that he had there attached to his body with a bunch of energy packets and some other things. He took it off, he gave it to him. i got to lose this, I am going to finish this thing. But I've got to remove the weight. You know, sometimes we go through life and we're carrying weight, sometimes just out of habit. Are those things, those weights... Slowing your ability down to be resilient, to persevere, to endure. We must shed those weights. Don't let that bulk slow your race. He goes on, the sin that doth so easily beset us. Times in which we're tempted, we're harassed, we're ensnared by sin, we're entangled by it. And it hinders our our, our life, our walk. You know, a weight just slows us down, but a sin wants to stop us in our tracks. It wants to seize our lives. Seize your ability to go forward in the race that you're to walk as a Christian. Sometimes we have little resiliency to even oppose it. The opening words here of Hebrews 12 encourage the runner to prepare, to set aside weights, to remove sin from his life. Don't be careless in that race in which you run. Resilience is required. You know, when a principle like this is taught to us in Scripture, isn't it, I think, of interest when God provides us with little illustrations sprinkled throughout Scripture to help reinforce that principle? I think that's a pretty cool thing. So let me draw your attention to an example of one, I believe, who persevered, who had a resiliency about him. Let me draw your attention to the Old Testament uh, character, Caleb. Now, we only get two snapshots of Caleb's life. The book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, and then a second snapshot in Joshua, chapter 14. There's a term that's become popular in the last two years in, in college athletics, NIL, name, image, and likeness. It allows an athlete to make a little bit of income as a result of a company, a business, an organization using his name, image, and likeness. Now think with me for a moment about Caleb's name, image, and likeness. Caleb's name means dog. Dog. Now here in our Western world, we love our dogs, don't we? You take the Christmas photo to be sent to the relatives. It's got the parents, the children, and the family dog. But understand, in some parts of the world, dogs aren't necessarily looked upon with fondness. Our first trip to Romania in 2008, we were riding uh, in the van. We were passing through a little town. Brother Gentry said to me, he says, let me tell you a little funny story about this town. 
He said the mayor of this town a couple years ago got so upset with the next town's mayor. He says, I'm going to get this guy. And so he rounded up all the stray dogs in his town, about two dozen. Put them in a truck, trailers, hauled them up to the other town, dropped them off. Let all those stray dogs run throughout the town. Hey, it didn't improve relations. <laughs> they don't care for those dogs. You know, think about the image, the likeness of Caleb. The son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Some commentators believe that Caleb was not even a Jew. He was a Gentile, a descendant of the Edomites. A group of them, maybe his family, maybe his parents, his grandfather, chose to be absorbed into the, to the, to the Hebrew people, to the tribe of Judah. They wanted to be a part of the, the, the people, but they weren't Jews. And, 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 and no doubt there were maybe times when Caleb was looked at not with the best of reputations. Oh, you're not, a, you're not a Jew. Oh, we've accepted you, but... And maybe he had that poor reputation. Yet did that stop Caleb from living for God? Did that stop him from having a zeal for God, from a resiliency that he needed as he went through different situations? We come to that first snapshot of Caleb's life in Numbers chapter 13. You know the story. Twelve spies are selected to go up and look over the land. He's selected from the tribe of Judah. Smart move on Judah's part. Pick somebody who's not a Jew. That way if he gets killed, we're all good. <laughs> Interesting thinking. But he goes up there. He makes his observations. He makes his analysis. He comes to his conclusions. And they're the same as everyone else. There's some good, there's some good things. But there are some challenges there. But the ten spies speak up first, and they've concluded that they should not go up into the land. It's too dangerous, too many challenges. But there's two, two spies, Caleb and Joshua, who disagree with that analysis. And Caleb speaks up for the first time in, in verse 30 of Numbers 13, where he says, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Well, that didn't go over too well. For the majority immediately began to, to, to speak their side again. And the crowd began to follow the majority. Caleb gives it one more try in the next chapter, verse 7 through 10 in Numbers 14. He says, if the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye this people of the land. For they are bred to us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. That did it, right? The majority, the population said, yeah, he's right. Let's go. Huh. Do you know what verse 10 says, Numbers 14? But all the congregation bade stone him with stones. They're ready to kill Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron. But we see Caleb's resiliency there. Despite the overwhelming negativity of this situation, he's saying, let's go. Quitting is not an option. He saw success and he saw difficulty, but he also saw God. He saw challenges. Yes, absolutely. But he was focused on one who could bring success during that tough time. Young people, when you choose to give up, when you choose to quit at this time in your life, you're reinforcing a very dangerous character trait. 
When you're faced with a challenge that you don't like, that seems tough, that's difficult, too great a sacrifice, it's stretching you beyond what you want to be, don't let yourself walk away. Don't let yourself quit. Though the temptation will be strong, though the challenge will be at times overwhelming. For many of you, you're running the first laps of life, as opposed to myself, who's in those last laps of this life here on this earth. What will you make What will make you a great champion in the second half of your life will often be molded by the choices you are making right now. So in this opening snapshot of Caleb's life, as he rises on the scene of leadership, he's saying what? Let's go! His mindset is not to quit. I'm sure Caleb thought about it. I'm sure it went through his mind. Maybe he could have taken some of the logic that's even prevalent in today's society. Well, maybe I ought to just go along with the crowd, right? Maybe it's better, uh, maybe, you know, maybe the majority is right. Maybe it's best that I just stay silent. But that's not Caleb's thinking. Because of this resilient spirit which he has built, we move 45 years later to a second snapshot in Joshua chapter 14. 45 years later, you wonder, huh, is Caleb's resiliency dissipated? You know, they spend 40 years out there wandering in the wilderness. But when we get to Joshua chapter 14, you wonder, is his courage going to be strong? Is he still steadfast to serve God? The obstacles that he's had to deal with for the past amount of time, are they still, you know, are they still dominating? Allow me to read a rather lengthy passage of Scripture in Joshua chapter 14, beginning in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses sware on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day, as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to make it back again. Now therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakins were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be that the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed him, and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb displays this championship mindset, this behavior similar to those as given to us in Hebrews chapter 11, this resilient faith, this faith that will not quit. Do you think the 45 years have weakened him, discouraged him? Doesn't appear that way, does it? 
It almost seems as if 45 years have passed and he's invigorated. As he went through the wilderness, as he wandered there, waiting for that previous generation to pass. I realize that we don't get all the days. We don't know about the ordinary days. But I have to believe, just by reading these two passages, that those intermediate days, those ordinary days, he's not spending his time blaming others. Nor is he spending his time complaining about his situation. He's not fuming about the position that he took that others wouldn't support. I think he's spending even the ordinary days steadfast on his future, serving God in the place where he was. And now the day finally comes to go take that mountain, to take that city of Hebron, and he's able to push forward despite an age of 85. He's able to face the hardships of fighting giants. He's ready to take on the challenges of a walled city. Why? Because of a resilient spirit. Yes, Caleb only gets two shout-outs in Scripture. But we can see a perseverance that's true for the course of his entire life. Now listen. Caleb makes a good illustration, a good example. A, a, a good one to consider, but it's not the best example. So finally, let's look at one more thing this morning. For I think we need to go back to our passage in Hebrews chapter 12. For I think we would be sloppy in our examination of the passage if we did not do what it states for us to do in verse 3. For consider him. For consider him, Jesus Christ, who endured such contradiction of sinners, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Let's look at Christ's example. Who should drive your perseverance, Christian? Who should motivate you in your daily endurance, believer in Christ? Against whose life should you model a resiliency? The author and finisher of your faith. He's a supreme example of faithful endurance. The resilience through his suffering and arrest, trials, mockings, scourgings. He endured the shame of the cross, hanging naked for all to see. He was nailed with those three spikes, having to pull himself up in order to take his next breath. The crown of thorns, the ridicule. Why did he do it? How did he endure? We don't see any notes in Scripture of him blaming others. His statements there on the cross were not statements of complaint, about those who put him there. No, we see a continual trust in the Father as he executed the plan of for all mankind, taking upon himself our sin, our penalty of death, the hell you and I deserved, that separation from his heavenly Father. Jesus remained motivated anticipating the joy that one day he would come back to life, be reunited with his Father, and sit on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him a worthy example. I don't know what the events are going on in your day. Today might be just one of those difficult days. I don't know what your week's been like. Maybe it has been described even already to someone verbally. This week is overwhelming. Maybe you're going through a semester that just is a struggle. It feels like this giant is just hovering over you, attacking you, hitting you, punching you. 
Well, how have you trained? How are you training? Are you training a persevering spirit? Are you working on an enduring attitude? Are you building this mindset of resiliency? Do you possess the right responses when faced with challenge? Do you have a mindset of resilience? Do you possess a resilient, active faith? Do not be weary in well-doing, says the Lord, for your labor I surely will reward. Be steadfast, unmoving, never faint, for God honors the enduring saint. Don't quit. There's a job to be done. Don't quit. There's a race to be run. Don't quit. There's a crown to be won. Don't quit. Weary Christian, don't quit. Jesus did not quit all throughout his ministry, for he would not stop till he reached Calvary. He endured the cross and became the finisher. So then follow. Be a conqueror. Don't quit. There's a job to be done, don't quit. There's a race to be run, don't quit. There's a crown to be won, don't quit. Weary Christian, don't quit. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.